Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo and Paul. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the PD Sports Podcast. I am Paul and I've got Damo with me. Damo, do you want to say hi Hello to all the lovely everybody. people? It is good to be back for another week of the PD Sports Podcast. We are up, ready to go once again. So I just want to start off with thanking everybody that has supported us so far through the first five episodes. We are entirely grateful for all your support. Just a reminder, we are on Apple Podcasts, uh, at the PD Sports Podcast. We're on Spotify, at the PD Sports Podcast, and everywhere else that you get your podcasts. So we'll start with a bit of a recap from last week's prediction. So we're halfway through the European ties in the Champions League and the Europa League. Uh, I think all three of us, actually, including Dom, picked United to win, which they won quite emphatically over the first leg. I think I predicted Arsenal to either lose the first leg or draw. Or, no, sorry, I said win or draw, and they obviously lost. I think Damo definitely said that Villarreal would win at home. So that tie is still up for grabs. We probably were split on decisions with the Chelsea-Madrid game, which we'll cover. And then the PSG-Man City result. We didn't... I don't think we predicted the result in France but we did say that City would get through um, I think I was the only one on the podcast last week that predicted results I predicted 2-2 two, two home and away in extra time in pens and I got close yeah yeah so I think for Man City I think Dom and I were pretty keen that they would come away with the win yes. over two legs so we'll get to that game in just a moment but Damo do you want to kick us off with the first game which we'll cover which will be Madrid and Chelsea so for me in this UCL recap I was a busy boy this week uh, obviously missing probably coaching a little I watched every game and paper and kind of put my notes down as if I was with my coach's hat on um, Madrid and Chelsea is the first game I'm going to look at finish one all um, a game where Chelsea would be the happier with the away goal I think that's pretty clear to say um, the only thing that you'd say if you're in Madrid fan is you're lucky it wasn't more than one um two really good goal goals in the game it was really tricky conditions as well it was in pouring rain um Chelsea dominated the first half like I said uh you know they had a lot of uh, a lot of players making four runs from the middle middle third beyond as well which I thought was really good um something that you don't I don't think we've seen a lot Chelsea going forward in like the Prem in that sort of dynamic way where you're having like eights bombing on past the nine past Werner uh, but you saw that it was evident in the first half. I thought, uh, you know, a couple of the midfielders really looked really hard to get beyond um, into the final third. Um, you saw that with uh, Pulisic's goal, you know, where he ends up taking the ball. Yeah, you know, he's become the furthest forward player and uh, he started his run from quite deep as well um, initially. Uh, and then uh, Madrid wrestled the game back second half. You know, typical Madrid. You know, they didn't concede the goals they probably should have. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were dogged and they found a way back and showed a little bit of experience and they're probably very happy when Benzema scored. Uh, I think it puts Chelsea in the driving seat. You would agree, Paul, with the 1-1, that Chelsea yeah. is the driving seat. Um, and to be fair, I know I predicted Madrid to get through. Uh, it was more knowing that I think Madrid would have won the game in Madrid and then it would just be a dogged affair where I think Madrid would come and set the bus um, and Chelsea would have a tough time trying to break it down. Uh, I think now my prediction would be that because it's 1-1, Chelsea will probably get through into the final based on the fact that they're going to be good enough defensively 
the holes will be there for Madrid probably on the break because they're going to have to come and press at some point for a goal. I think Chelsea will probably find one. This game also wouldn't surprise me if it finishes 1-1 as well in Chelsea and it does go into extra time as well. What do you reckon is going to happen second leg pool? Yeah, I think it's almost what I predicted from the start. So I said Chelsea would nick, nick a goal uh, in Spain and then make it very, very hard for Madrid. So I'm just looking at some stats from the game now. And what's probably concerning for Madrid is where Chelsea were having their shots. So I haven't actually watched this game, but just from the data that I'm looking at, Chelsea had 11 shots and seven of them were from inside the box. So I think Madrid would not like to be giving up those opportunities to players like Havertz, Werner, Pulisic, because eventually they are going to start burying them. And from 11 shots, they did have five on target. So they did make Madrid work to keep it just at one. I think the way that Tuchel has um, set this Chelsea team up, this just suits them so much because they will just sit there with the five and look to springboard on the attack going forward. Um, If Chelsea score first in this game, it's going to be very, very hard for Madrid to really get into this game. I think just from what I've seen uh, from them in the Champions League, they have relied quite a lot on being the dominant side. And I know in the Liverpool tie, we weren't able to get that ascendancy across the tie at all and Madrid were always in control and I think the way Madrid plays they need to be in control and I think this game's going to sort of throw that up a little bit um, and it's going to suit the way that Chelsea want to attack at Madrid so that's how I sort of see the game going I'm going to keep my prediction which is Chelsea to get through and I don't think there's going to be a heap of goals in this game, if I'm perfectly honest. I think it's going to be cagey. I think Chelsea are going to be dropping a bit deeper and really looking to spring. How do you think? I, I, do you I, to- it's Chelsea? I totally agree. Uh, I think I think Chelsea gets through if it's nil-nil. Um, or obviously, they get through if it's nil-nil in the dirt. But um, I think that they're going to get through and it's going to be nil-nil in this second leg. Uh, I just, from what I watched, uh, you know, obviously it was early morning uh, here in Australia when you do watch it, and shout out to our international viewers, you probably get a better time slot than us. Uh, it just, from what you watched first half, it was so evident that Chelsea were finding efforts easily from inside the box. Uh, you know, you had midfielders bombing on into space, getting beyond, linking up, breaking lines, um, and they were really, really lucky, Madrid, I thought, to just be, you know, only the one goal down in the game. Um, before they equalised. And then from there, it kind of like levelled out. Uh, I think by that time, Chelsea kind of realised, look, if we just set up here, we're going to get a one-all draw and that's going to be enough. Uh, And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Tuchel approaches it. I don't, get me wrong, he's going to approach in the way where if we don't concede, we're not going to win. Um, We're going to win, sorry. And, you know, it allows us to play on the break. I just want to know if it's going to be the full on, we're going to sit there, 10 men behind the ball, sit as deep as we can and frustrate? Was it going to be what he's yeah. been doing at the moment, which has been a very defensively minded, great shape, great structure, but still looking to get on the ball, still looking to play a brand of possession-based football, still looking to hit teams on the break when it's on? Um, it'd be interesting to see if he falls into the trap, this is a big semi-final, can we just not concede for 90? Because I feel if you invite that pressure, as much as Madrid yeah. aren't as good as Madrid size have been, it allows them to get the dominance in the game away in London. Um, I feel like if yeah, that, they need a goal. Yeah, and I, I think if Chelsea 
approach it not in the way of let's not concede for 90, but let's just go out there and play our normal football, which is still defensively very, you know, very focused, but still looking to, you know, get Werner in behind when it when it's on, still looking to play out from the middle um, when they have the ball and still looking to get the runners beyond like they did in the first leg. Uh, I think it just, it takes that ability for Madrid to go, you know what, we're just going to be up against a bank of, you know, two banks of four or a bank of five and a midfield that's sitting really deep. Um, and if you take that ascendancy that Madrid will have for 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes and you make it a bit more of an even contest with the ball and possession, I think Chelsea won't concede and it will be nil-nil and Chelsea will get through. I just feel like if Tuchel gets into that, no, but let's not concede, let's just sit as deep as you can. If you give the like of Benzema half a sniff, big game, big game player, sort of the first leg, it. he'll take it again and all of a sudden then Chelsea might find themselves 20 minutes needing a goal and all of a sudden Madrid goes to become dogged for 20 and it's all of a sudden a lot easier to hold on for 20 minutes of a match than it is for 90. So that first goal was going to be crucial. But uh, I do see this being nil-nil. I could see this being one all, And I could see it being one nil either way on the night. I, this was surprised but this game has more than two goals in this. Yeah, I think overall this tie is probably the more uh, tactically demanding probably of the two, if that makes sense. I think this is where the shape, the structure, the setup is going to mean more. Then the other tie, I think when we get into the PSG City game, I've got some data in front of me for that game too that it's going to show you that that's going to be played in a different manner. So I think the way that Zidane sets this team up is going to be quite different as well. They did go with a 3-5-2 um, against Chelsea, I believe. So I think he reverts back to a 4-3-3 potentially. So that's going to throw a whole different range of problems for the 3-4-3. So it's going to be interesting to see that. I think this game's going to get won in the midfield. I think if Madrid are unable to stop the two central midfielders of Chelsea and those overlapping fullbacks in those half spaces, then it's going to be very, very hard uh, for Madrid to carry through with a victory. I, so I reckon... Yep. What was that I there? personally think from the neutral point of view, you want Chelsea to get through. Because I think Chelsea make a good final no matter who they get. I think there's yeah, potential that if Madrid get through, no matter if it's PSG or City, PSG or City have the potential to obliterate Madrid. But I think Chelsea being a bit more defensive unit will give PSG or City a game in the final. I think that's what we want. Yeah, in a one-off game as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. So let's shift our discussion to the other semi-final, which was played in a completely different way it's to crazy. the Chelsea-Madrid game. So I'll just start off with some data first. Uh, that might at least show you guys, if you didn't watch or have seen anything from this first leg, why you probably should tune in to this game. So it finished 2-1 away to Man City, which is a big talking point. City had 11 shots and PSG had 10. City had six of those on target and PSG had four. And I just want to see if I can get the possession. So the general possession was 60% to City, 40% to PSG. So the one thing I can assure you guys is there'll be chances in this oh. game regardless of who's going to have them there's going to be shots so Dane what were your main takeaways from the PSG City first well leg? the big one for me is Mbappe did not manage to have a shot on target the whole day and like it yeah. was set for an Mbappe show and it never happened um, I think there's credit to City in that but I think the man of the match of this game was actually Pep Guardiola he changed this tie he threw it on his head so, first half, PSG were dominant. I think most of those shots that you rattled off, Paul, all came first half. PSG should have been three, four, five new up. It could have been like that first half. 
you know, they dominated possession. They made City sit deep and kind of park themselves on the edge of the box. Um, and City, even if they tried to press, couldn't get near it. So PSG were just playing all around him in between the half spaces. Pep has to be given credit. He changed shape. It almost looked 4-4-2 at time second half. And he went full gun-ho, full blitz press, you know. There was no playing into a pressing trap. It was as soon as it's a goal kick, you are having two guys parked on the edge of the box ready to go either side. And everybody is in your half. And there was just no, it was just full, uh, you know, it, it was just full gun ho blitz. It was no respect for PSG and their ability to play football. You know, there was times where there was a goal kick and for Navas and you would have both centre-backs inside the attacking half the City. It, 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 it yeah. was completely contrast to the second half. Um, and I think that's where you have to be and give credit to Pep because a world-class manager at half-time in a big game knowing they've absolutely been giving a footballing lesson by PSG, goes out there, changes system, and not only does that, gets two goals and takes a lead and probably potentially puts City in a very good spot to get into their first final under Pep in the UCL. Now, um, Navas is probably at fault for the first goal. It's one that looks absolutely horrid. Uh, for a goalkeeper and a goalkeeper coach, I understand why Navas has let it in. It's one of those crosses that, for a keeper, you kind of have to wait to see if anyone touches at the front or middle stick. Um, because if it does, he has to react. And then it's one of those ones that's just curled in perfectly to the inside of post and in at the back stick, where it looks bad as a keeper because you've watched it go all the way in, um, but he has to react, react, and react to any particular touch from middle and middle and front stick um, if a player gets them flicks. And then by the time he realises that's creeping in, I mean, he has to react and now dive and Too make late. a save. It's already five yards out, four yards out, you know, unless it's within your arm's reach with a good dive. If it's inside and posting in, it's going in. And that's where, as a coach, you keep telling your players to whip balls to like that, where it's just going to hit the inside of the post because that's what could happen. Um, and the second one, unfortunately, Navas has let down by his wall. Uh, you know, for all the good play, it was actually two mistakes that PSG made that allowed City to score. City, probably from open play, deserved a couple of goals in the second half, but it was two mistakes. It was, I can't remember who it was in the wall, but they split away. And the Maris is a good free kick because he picks the gap. Um, and Navas can't save it, and obviously the first one's probably Navas's fault. Uh, I would imagine you would agree, Paul, with that two away two away goal, City. You know, odds. I wouldn't say odds on, uh, but City are definitely yeah, they're in the driving seat to get through, aren't they? Yeah, they're definitely in the driving seat. I just want to make mention Marquinhos's goal was fantastic was as well. Uh, great flick on header there. Uh, the other big talking point: this tie could have almost been done. Um, in the first leg, if City were able to capitalise on the red card for Idrissa Guy as well. So he got sent off pretty shortly after the red card. Oh, sorry, the red card, the goal. So it was about six minutes in between the goal, the second goal, Mahrez's goal, and Idrissa Guy getting sent off. So that could have been a huge, huge talking point as well. PSG quite lucky to get away with not conceding. I think me and you both said that he would start, which is kind of annoying that he probably will not play the return leg, but I think the way that this game's going to change is huge. So obviously PSG chasing City here. City are going to be a team that want the ball. So the way PSG, I don't know, this is this has just some real different approaches written all over it. How's Pochettino going to react? Does he go 4-3-3? Does he, go, does he stay 4-2-3-1? He probably needs to stay 4-2-3-1. I think Verratti needs to drop into the midfield, though, rather than playing out on the left. It's There's a lot to consider here in this tie, but I think the way City have been so dominant in the league at home, I just don't... They haven't been beaten at home in 22 games, I think it is. 
Oh, sorry, one in twenty-two. Sorry. Um, I know that they're a good team, but City have the track record at this point. It's just they've shown in the most competitive league that they can get the job done and not lose. I just I don't see a world where City don't score. I can't. I just they're such a good side. They've got goals from midfield. They've got goals from defenders. They've got goals from fullbacks. They've got goals from their wingers. They've got goals from false nines, and then they've got Aguero scoring. I think midweek, oh, midweek in the Premier League at the weekend as well. So there's just I think the quality of that City side with two away goals is just too much. Yeah, I what do you reckon? I agree. Uh, I definitely think City are favourites. I do think if there's any team in world football that can overturn a deficit here against City in City, uh, you know, in England, sorry, it is probably PSG. It's PSG or Bayern that could do it. The reason why is obviously the firepower of PSG. They can nab two, three goals in 10 minutes of football if they really wanted to, if it all went right. Uh, I just think that where you say City have scored from all over the shop, I think PSG could too. I think that this is just one of those ties that you just want to watch because it could be something special. It could even be PSG could win this game away from home 2-1, but we get another 30 minutes. Um, it could be a 5-4 for we know, Paul, and it could fizzle and be nil-nil. I think there's just every result is possible here. I think City won't change. City will play the way they want to play. They may try and put, approach it how they approached the first half, which is a bit more calculated, a bit more possession dominant. Um, and I feel like that allows PSG to play. I think PSG are actually going to allow City to have the ball and just really invite them on them and then look, all right, we've won it. Where's Neymar? Where's Mbappe? Let's go. Let's run. Yeah. Um, and I think this game is going to be all about the first goal. If PSG get the first goal, hold them to your hats. We're going to go, you know, the full 10 rounds. This is going to be an absolute slog fest. Um, if City get the first goal, I do expect actually Pep to just shut up shop. Uh, I know that's not Pep. Yeah. Pep's way, but I think Pep wants this keep so badly that he will say to everyone, you keep the ball, you keep your shape, you do not bomb on, and we are holding on for dear life. And I wouldn't blame him, to be fair. you got to get through what, if they score, even if they score early, you got to get through, what, 80 minutes to make a Champions League final, you're 3-1 up against a team that knows how to score. Yeah, may as well not give any space for them to run in behind and just say, hey, break us down. Yeah, or take some long yeah, shots or, or just, just try, make it happen the way you don't I want feel, it to happen. I think almost. if this game becomes open... It could be any any which way. And if PSG get the first one, I think City can't really sit back then because they know, hang on, if we can see the second, we're going to have to score and just descend it to yeah. the time. So I think at 1-0 PSG, City will go, hang on, let's score now because it puts the owners back on PSG to find a goal to send it to extra time, not, oh, we can see the second, shit, we're in trouble. So yeah, I agree. I think that first goal is going to be reckon... massive. I think City will get yeah. through. Uh, I think it's going to probably be 2-1 City again. I think PSG will get the first. City will get the second, and City will probably hit PSG late on the break, considering that PSG have gone and come and look for the second goal to send it extra time. Yeah, that sounds pretty likely uh, to happen in my books as well, especially with the quality and depth off the bench City have. They could just make a change that just breaks the game open too if they need to. So I think City's quality overall probably prevails, and it looks like we've got a Chelsea City final in our books. So... If you share that opinion, if you disagree with that opinion, hit us up on Twitter or through the Discord. Let us know what your thoughts and views are uh, for these ties. You've probably got a day and a half or so to let us know before the first game does kick off on Wednesday morning. So we'll move from the Champions League to the coveted Europa League. And I reckon I might flip the order around here, Dame. Yep. 
I don't think much needs to be said about one of these nope. ties, so let's get it out of the way. I do. Man United, Roma. I do have something to say about it. Firstly, United are free to the final. We didn't expect yep. it. I was more expecting 3 0 4 1, not 6 2. Um, I actually feel for Roma a little. I do. Because they played well first half, they took a 2 1 lead, and I do think if it wasn't for three first half injuries, it would have been a very interesting tie, this. And I did think Roma had the beating of United for 45 minutes. Uh, I definitely think yeah. second half, you know, the legs. Uh, Roma already made three changes. They had no subs. They, they died. It was all, you know, it was slow. And United made them pay. Yeah, you know, that, the quality shone through. And you got to remember, United do have quality going forward. And it shone through. And, you know, you had different scorers. You had Bruno Fernandes, I think. Bogba scored. Greenwood scored. Uh, I'm trying to remember the rest of the scorers. Uh, it doesn't really matter, though. It, 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 those players, if they get going... I think Cavani quality, scored as well. It, it, it's all so much quality. So you expected United to get through versus Roma. Did you expect 6-2 first league? Probably not. You expected it to be like 3-0, 3-1, something like that. They go to Italy, win again, game over, right? Now it's just... They could... They, I'm, a bit disingenuous, but they could rock up with an under-21 side and probably get the job done still. So, yeah, yeah. It, 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 we don't need to speak about this league, I don't think, anymore, or this this tie. United through to the final, it's all about who they play in the final. Exactly, yeah. So, as we've just alluded to, so we're booking United in. I don't have too much more to add on top of that. I think it's just too much for Roma to overcome, although they've done it in the past against Barcelona in the Champions League. I think this United side gets the job Either done. Way, so, we've got the... If they can win 4-0 in Italy, so be it. Yeah, exactly. And then if they do that, they deserve to go through. So we'll see how that unfolds on Friday. But let's move over to Villarreal and Arsenal, which was a very, very interesting game. There's lots of different talking points. So we'll touch on this game. So from my perspective, I'll just touch on this one first. So Villarreal did exactly what I thought they'd do. They'd go up early and Unai Emery became Unai Emery and was like, yep, 2-0, I'll take that and run. Arsenal, lucky penalty in my opinion. I do too. But you take, you take what you're given sometimes and look 2-1 with a pretty crappy performance and going down to 10 men, you probably take it. Although Arsenal's home form hasn't been great, there's plenty of track record where they have an average first leg away from home and then come back to the Emirates and get the job done, which is what I'm pretty sure my prediction was last week as well. So especially watching, I saw half of Arsenal last night and Gabriel Martinelli, I was going to bring this up in the questions. If he doesn't start this game, Arteta's got no idea what he's doing because he's just a bundle of pressure and energy and quality that they're going to need his quality to play on the left-hand side in this second tie. So, Dame, what were your main takeaways from the game? It was a game of two halves, and not even a game of two halves. It was a game of, you know, 80 minutes and 10 minutes, really. Um, Villarreal looked the better of the two teams. They kept the ball. They looked great. The shape was good. I actually watched this game over the United game. Um, when it came up my phone, 2-1 United, I was like, oh, I'm going to change it over, then realised three injuries, this uh, Villarreal game was looking good. Um, decided not to switch, and thank God I didn't. Um, at 2-0, and some... Sabellos got sent off. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the red card, Paul. If you have, uh, chime in. If you haven't, I actually think the second yellow is very harsh. Uh, but I, th- I think it's more because he'd been warned already um, in the second half as well. So he had the first yellow card 
Um, and then from there, it was just. I just I think that the it's accidental. You can only get warned so many times. I think it's just yeah, it's we can only so get warned. accidental. Like, um, I, I don't get me wrong because I predicted Villarreal to win and get through and actually make the final. Um, so I'm actually really happy with the result. I'm actually just disappointed they didn't go on and you know uh, score a few more. Uh, but uh, I just thought it was accidental. You know, he's kind of in. Comp- He's kind of in control of it. He's hunting the ball down. Um, you know, he's probably going to get onto the ball again. And it was a slide tackle that was never going to win the ball. And I think it was more that he was running and trying to plant his foot on the floor because you're running, you're taking a step. And as he takes his step, the slide tackle's come in at a point where he stepped on him. Um, the referee just was right there. Just a bit over isn't it? Pardon? Yeah. It's just a bit over Yeah, I just think the referee's right there. It's one of those ones, the referee, that if he really wants to, he could even blow the foul the other way and say, hang on, you know, you've slid in. I know Sabolas has caught you, but really, you're impeding him. Um, it was also one of those ones where if the referee sees it, he could even let it play. Um, and it's one of those ones where you could just say it's a foul, but really, you know, explain to the fact that I think that's just very accidental. Um, where he's obviously his first yellow card so cynical that it's always a yellow. Uh, obviously, the referee has viewed it that Ceballos maybe has, you know, purposely stepped on, um, I can't remember who it was now that slid in. Um, I think that's very harsh on um, Ceballos. And you could tell from his reaction straight away that he couldn't believe that he was going to get sent off for that. Uh, and I think there wasn't a changing point. If anything, I think that relaxed Villarreal. It's the whole reason they can see the penalty. And I think it's the whole reason that, you know, that the tie kind of just started they to beat off. Yeah. At that point, it, 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 Villarreal were on top. I, I actually think the red card hurt Villarreal. Um, it made Arsenal go, okay, we can't afford to concede. Let's, you know, whatever. And I do think that their goal came after the red card, I'm pretty sure. You know, they scored with 10 men in the pen. Yeah, um, they, they did. And I, I, I think that was really due to the fact that Villarreal went from, well, we're 2 up here against 11 men. Let's just, you know, set off, take 2 nil. You know, they don't have an away goal to, well, now it's 2-1. And now we've got a red card too. Um, yeah, uh, they'll take 2-1, but I thought it was a massive opportunity to not put the game to bed. I still think Villarreal will go through. I actually think Arsenal, as much as they were good in the first half, like you said, Paul, I actually think that Villarreal have enough quality, enough understanding that they can keep this scoreless and Arsenal um, Arsenal come crashing out and Villarreal will go through. However, I think if it was anyone else but Kapu, I'd be more confident in that prediction. The fact that Kapu's the one that's got the red card for Villarreal and he's such a big fixture in the middle of the park for them holding the shop, as you would say. Yeah. Um, I think them missing him is massive and that allows Arsenal to be able to find some more space. I think if Villarreal score, Villarreal will go through. I just think... I just can't see a world where Arsenal don't score in this game. Like, it's just, it's got, if you can't get up for this game, then there's bigger issues at Arsenal. Like, you're down a goal, you've got the away goal. They're definitely not keeping a clean sheet, especially with David Luiz getting injured last night. But when you're talking about Odegaard, you're talking about Aubameyang, Saka, Martinelli, if they don't get up for this, then there's bigger issues. It's just... They've got pace, they've got quality, they've got precision, they've got finishing, they've got all the assets in a front four. If Arteta doesn't start that front four with, say, Xhaka or Elneny or Xhaka and Party if he's fit, I don't know what he's doing as a manager. Like, your biggest game, that's got to be your attack and midfield. The defence, there's probably not going to be Kieran Tierney available, I think. He'll go Cedric and Bellerin with Pablo Mari and like a Callum Chambers or a Rob Holding. Yeah, I agree. 
Oh, Gabriel. Actually, Gabriel played last night too. So Gabriel plays with one of those three next yeah. to him with Ryan or Leno in goals. I think it's Leno played Rob well Holden last night. Alongside Gabriel, I would imagine. And yeah, and that's good enough. Yeah, it, like, really? That should be good I enough. I think Villarreal will score. And I think if Villarreal score, I just think Arsenal are that hit and miss that it could be one of those nights where you see Arsenal maybe only score one and they'll go out. I actually think if Arsenal do not win this game 1 0. 2-0, two, 2-1, two two which sends it to extra time. If they do not win it like that, I do not see Arsenal slotting 3-4-5 past Villarreal. And to be quite fair, if Villarreal can keep it dogged and just absorb a little bit here, I do think with that back four, they will score themselves. Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those ones where it can literally go either way. If the right Arsenal turns up, they could just score for fun. If the Arsenal that we see too often turns up, then it's going to get ugly. So that's going to be, for me, out of the four, the PSG-Man City game's intriguing because it's two monster powerhouses but the actual like I'm really looking forward to this tie out of the four because it's just got so many different ways it can go it's the Arteta versus Unai Emery battle it's at at the Emirates is there going to be a protest who knows the atmosphere could be there the fans might hang around outside the stadium there's so there's much that could that literally could go, go big question for you this Paul. could go nuts big question yeah, go for Villarreal it. Villarreal beat Arsenal. Does Ateta get the sack? Yeah. Uh, I don't think he can I don't think he can justify a semi final and finishing ninth, tenth, or eleventh in the Premier League. Like they're just getting worse and worse and worse since they sacked Emery. Will the board so, sack Arteta knowing that they have a bid for the club in? Yeah, because I just don't think that their board really care about what's going on at the moment. I think they're probably more focused on how can we get more money into the club we need to get the Champions League I think you won't see that sacking happen for a while so they'll let him manage the rest of the season out probably because it's not going to hurt them they're not going to get relegated I think the search for a new manager probably happens the Cronkies have said you know that they're not looking to sell so I don't think that comes into oh, their mind. Uh, there, there was a piece of information that came out over the last 48 hours that I know the owner of Spotify I can't remember his name now um, Daniel yeah, Ek. that's him and a few of the Arsenal legends have put in a bid um, and the Cronkies came out and said if they made a bid of around 1.7 billion we would think about it uh, I do think that there is serious 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 and maybe it's a tour, uh, the serious serious allegations that, that could actually happen um, and to be fair I think that's another thing we could talk about on another podcast if it does happen it looks even more likely but the early stages seem that the owner of Spotify I can't remember his name uh, like I've said Daniel Ek. um yeah, he, it looks very, very likely that he could be coming in and the Cronkies could be on their way out. Yeah, that'd only be a positive. So we'll cover that probably towards the back end of the season yeah. um, if that hasn't happened already. But, I mean, even regardless, even if he's not taking over, I still think they need to make that managerial I change anyway. Arsenal's too big of a club to be loitering around down in 10th or 11th in the Premier League. That's just not good enough. So... We'll move from the champions in Europa League. So let us know what your predictions are in the Discord or on Twitter as well. And make sure you tag us so we can see those responses. But we are going to move on to the big talking point from last night. So I feel like it's always Sunday night. So I don't know what happens on Sundays in England. Everyone must be having a long week. And that's just a lot of pent-up frustration that gets released on a Sunday. But we were rocked by the news of the protests at Old Trafford last night. So Damo and I were both up watching separate things. I was watching Arsenal, Newcastle, he was watching the F1s. Yeah. And the news broke once again that there's major drama. 
kicking off in England, which actually impacted our Liverpool side who were unable to play last night. So I was actually watching the AFTV watch along um, as it was breaking and they were having some real heated discussions around more so the moral side of things. Like, is this morally the way to go about it? And it was really interesting. If you haven't watched that take on AFTV, I don't know if it's actually uploaded because it was part of the watch along. I think it is. They might clip YouTube it. YouTube channel, you can watch the whole watch along if, and it should be timestamped. If they've, yeah, if they've clipped it, it'd be really good to watch because there's a real good argument between how are fans expected to get their voice heard if they don't do drastic things and what's breaking the law, what's breaking and entering and what are the legal implications of going onto the pitch. So that's what I want to bring today because I'm really on the fence about this. Um, I can't really pick a side because it's hard for us in Australia too because... We we are we love our clubs dearly. We we love Liverpool dearly, but I don't think we can ever imagine relate to it. what they're going through. We can't relate to it. So for me, I probably lean, and I'm a very cautious individual as it is. So for me, I lean on the I'd be happy to protest, but I wouldn't push the boundaries by breaking and entering into the stadium and running on the pitch and letting flares off and all the rest of the carry on that they did in the stadium. So. I definitely understand where the fans come from. Like they need, they're at a point, I guess, where they're so frustrated. These guys have been in charge for so long that the only way that they can, you know, get to them is by causing a massive scene. It's almost like a kid throwing a tantrum. They're just going that mental that they're getting exposure. So the fact that we're talking about it, the fact that it's all over the news, is what the fans want. Realistically, it's to show the Glazers, hey. We know you've got rid of old mate as well, Woodward, um, but it's time for some serious change. So what are your thoughts on it all, Damo? And then I'll sort of come together with where I sort of sit with it well, all after. look, it's hard for us to relate, like you said, and I don't know what I would do personally. I'm trying to like it to something that I could get really passionate about, and I do think I'm a very passionate Liverpool fan, and... Look, it's different for me because I'm actually I back FSG, right? But I do think if I was uh, if I was my age and we had the Americans in that obviously ran us into the ground, I could a hundred percent understand and probably be in the position of what the United fans did last night. So I know you're very cautious, Paul, and I'm I'm a bit more the flamboyant one out of us two. You would say, you know, I'm, I'm very hard on yeah. sleeve. I think personally, if given the choice. If it meant making change and making a difference, I would have been one of those ones that said, right, if it's going to make a change and I'm going to suffer in my life for it, but I care about this football club so much, I probably would have been one of those ones breaking Old Trafford and causing the scene. Because they've got exactly what they wanted, which was the exposure, right? Everybody now knows about it, knows the unrest, knows how upset they are with the owners. The owners know it's all out there in, in the end. It's exactly what they wanted. Do I think it's right morally? No, I don't think it's morally at all. But I think that's where passion and sport, sporting history, all that sort of stuff comes into it. You know, the fans nearly had that all taken away from them for these big six clubs, right? So there's a bit of pent up frustration there. And I think if you're a United supporter, you feel like that the owners haven't done a lot. I personally think the United owners, the guys have actually put in a lot of money into that club. Um, and there's a lot worse owners out there. But I, 
See, I don't think it's, it's not the right it, money yeah, though. That's exactly. the thing. Their investments not, is not. It's not great. It's just buying random players yeah. that just throw them together. Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Come on, go get it done. It's not the right purchases. That's how I see yeah, it. Yeah, same. I, do I think it's right what they did? No, I don't think it's right. Do I think it was justified? Yes, I think it's justified. Yeah, that's where I sit too. I think that's where I sit. I think should there be sanctions for these pl- people that have done it? Of course, because there's reports that there was police officers that you know. Yeah, we're assaulted. There's reports of arrest. There's a poor. We can't have that. If this was an organised protest, where well, it's hard to be organised, but if this was a protest where they organised going to Old Trafford, you know, they they went out there, but they didn't cause damage or harm, and it was more just we in here, we're proving a point. You know, this is what we want. Um, I could get behind that. I just think it's gone a but bit. Whilst you're the on top. that, yeah, go. Whilst you're on that, so I've watched a couple of videos tonight as I was getting ready, just from people that were at the protest. And apparently it was an organised protest, but so where you could see the differences, it was organised that it was at Old Trafford for the game, but getting onto the pitch became an opportunistic opportunity for them that they managed. It was That wasn't planned. That just happened. I don't know how the hell they've managed to get on the pitch. Some of the rumour that I heard through the AFTV stuff was that a steward potentially may have let them onto the ground. And it was like, shit, we've got a chance here, let's do it. And apparently from what it was like on the pitch, everyone was kind of like stunned mullets a little bit. Like they didn't, it was almost like it was surreal. Like this is a bunch of million United fans that are standing on the pitch of Old Trafford and they froze. Yeah. What were you going to say? I said it's a bit bit like the deer in the headlights moment. You know, they were like, oh my God, what, what's going on? And I think that's where the craziness started to come out because you had some fans that were like, oh, I'm on Old Trafford. Okay, I'm a bit shy. And you had some fans that, you know, when when you're in that sort of moment where you're like, what the hell do I do? You just got that little bit nuts, that little bit crazy. Um, You know, for me, we're in a sports podcast. I'll liken it to a cricket example. Um, You know, some people at five for 20 are going to go out there and, you know, it's like shit. Okay, I've got to knuckle down and, you know, whatever. So those are those fans that are a bit more stunned. And then you got people like me that are a little bit more spastic. Five or 20, all right, first ball short, I'm going to put it over the rope for six. Let's go, counterattack. Um, and I think that's the same sort of mentality that some of the fans had. Some of the fans go, oh, we're on Old Trafford, let's cause a nuisance. Off we go. And some fans are like, uh, I didn't expect this to happen. It was meant to be a normal protest. Here I am. Um, and yeah, I don't know how the hell you get onto the ground apart from the steward letting you on personally. Um, yeah. Do I expect there Concrete. to be a heap of implications and sanctions for the people that did get on the ground? Oh yeah, I expect everyone to get fined, and I expect some legal action. Who knows? How do you track? How do you track it all? That's the other issue. I think the ones that got arrested are going to be the ones that are most in trouble. I don't think they're going to go follow up yeah. everybody. It, 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 like I said, it, is it something that morally is it right to do? No, but do I think I would have done it? Yeah, the just. It, I think it was. It's justified, but it wasn't morally right. Yeah, well, I think the big factor is that no one's really talking about is there is a massive game that still needs to be played. Um, oh. Obviously, it doesn't impact us that much at the moment. Like, yes, we've travelled to Manchester. End of the day, it's not that far from Liverpool. Like, is it annoying? Yes. Will the players get over yes. it? Probably. Like, they'll just be frustrated that they have to make another trip to Manchester to play this game at some point. But, you know, this game... It, it, huge. I, I can't see it being played anytime I soon. I can't either. Like, I've got something from the Premier League in here. The Premier League confirmed yeah, the rearrangement of this fixture will be communicated in due course, but United are ready the due to play every midweek between now and the final day of the Premier League. So from now to the final day of the Prem, there is a midweek game fixtured in for United. So that's Europa League, 
at the moment. They're in you know, a second leg. And then they've got a midweek game, a league game on the weekend, another midweek game, and a league game on the weekend. That's the end of the season. So yeah. for the Premier League, it's tough to put it in. Now, I've put in a couple of what I think could happen, personally. Um, is it Look, I'm going to keep out what I think it does for LFC's chance of a top four at the moment. I'm just going to speak solely how the Premier League will try and fixture this game in. I think like you do see on Boxing Day, December 28th, you get a game on Boxing Day, you get a game two days later. I think that yeah. you, United are going to be forced to play a game within 48 hours of each other. If that's a... Europa League second leg and then they come out and say, oh, you're going to play Europa League Thursday, you've got to play Friday and then Sunday. Um, maybe. But I do think that that week after where they play midweek, I can't remember who they've got, and then they play on the weekend last game of the season, I think that the Premier League would say, no, instead of playing midweek Wednesday, you play midweek Tuesday, you're then going to play Liverpool on the Thursday and then you're going to play the final game of the season on the Sunday or the Saturday, whatever it is for the final game of the season, Right. And I think that's yeah, so it has to be played before then. Yeah, it does. It? So I think they're gonna ha- United are gonna have to play three games in about what seven days. Um, and that's, that's caused mental. by that is yeah, mental. And, and I think that's now I'm gonna relate about the LFC in their top four hopes. That's massive for Liverpool. Liverpool aren't in Europe. They aren't in the FA Cup. Uh, they're a team that can probably afford to play midweek weekend, right? And it yeah. gives them a game in hand and know exactly what they need to do. In terms of the top four race, and it makes I'm happy about it. To I be am too, as a Liverpool fan. I'm also more happy that it works out this way because Leicester drew on the weekend to Southampton, which is massive. Yeah, and the thing that we need to also remember is being part of that chasing pack, knowing what's going on. It's going to put pressure on the teams above. So some of these teams have been in this position like Leicester before and crumbled. They're not going to want Liverpool chasing them down. They have a game in hand. Knowing they've got a game in hand. Plus United, really, they're not playing for the title. They're in no danger of not making the Champions League. There's bigger games for Man United to worry about. And if we can somehow play them between the Europa League semi-final and the final, that is ideal. If we can get them just before the final... That's massive. ...of the Europa League... That could be huge for us. That's how. That's where I'm sitting with it Look, at the moment. I think that's what's going to happen. I am going to throw out a little bit of a point out there, and this is not me trying to be biased, and I come across quite biased. But what happens? Um, what happens if the FA and they're doing an investigation? I understand what what happened, but what happens if the FA find United at fault uh, for what's going on? Right? Is there any precedent or any way you see that the FA will go, well, we can't actually fit this game in. I don't think we can. Um, United's caused this, even though it's their own fans. Is there any way that they just go, you know what, United have to forfeit this game and Liverpool get the three points? Uh, I don't think that will happen. I don't think so. Personally, but I just don't think that's out of the realms of possibility and I think it's worth to be discussed. Yeah. They'll just be told, toughen up, yeah. play an extra midweek game. I think that's game. what's going to happen. They're going to have to play three games in seven days. And no team's going to want that. You want to know when we want to get them, Paul? You want to get them in the middle of that. Yeah. Gonna... If, if it could be Premier League, Liverpool, Europa League final. That would be huge. I just don't think it will oh, be. Oh, my God, that'd be amazing. I think what it's going to no, be, it's going to be. be us, final game of the season, Europa League final. But I think if you're Man United, you're probably going, uh, you would have played three, four days beforehand in the league anyway. Uh, who can you rest? Who can't you rest? Who needs the rest? Who do you want to meet absolutely fresh for the fi- for the final? Yeah. Um, and he's going to start resting players from then on. You know, it's Alex Ferguson, I think, did that with a Champions League final where he rested, I think, like Gary Neville for two weeks before he even played in the final and all that. You know, he had managers are going to have to social rotate. Yeah, social knows he's going to have to rotate. And I think for Liverpool, it's huge. 
Um, not like that Liverpool yeah. needed any boost. It, it should be a game that Liverpool should have been up for. I was looking forward to it because I really thought we would respond. And I feel like this is the game that we needed to push on if we're going to make the four, was to go and beat United at Old Trafford. I think it just it helps Liverpool for the right reasons and it hurts United for the wrong reasons. Um, and yeah, did it need to happen all this? Yeah, one big, yeah, who knows? one big thing to take away from it all is Klopp's never won at Old Trafford as well. So that just adds an extra layer to why it would have been nice to play it now yeah. uh, to sort of break that that duck and just really get away from that all. But as we can see, some other big results during the week. So Spurs win again in the league with Ryan Mason. Yeah. So it's his second win in two league games. So he took charge of the Sheff- against Sheffield this week and Southampton before the cup final. Yeah. Everton losing probably really kicks them out of any chance of playing in Europe this year or in Champions League in particular yeah. Chelsea another win 2-0 over Fulham and then as you mentioned Leicester drawing one all uh, with Southampton so it just opens the door a little bit more um, for Liverpool and West Ham I feel if you're Leicester you had to have won that game because your next four features are huge we're going to get to that in a second um in turn that, though, with the league table, is it still that we should be looking at Chelsea to drop points still because they're in the Champions League and probably could make the Champions League final? But I don't know. Like Leicester's run home so strong. I, I, I'm trying to find a way in what world does Liverpool finish top four, right? And I keep looking at Leicester being on 69 points and going, it's getting a bit tougher now to make the four with Leicester dropping out. And I'm still looking at Chelsea on like 63 points, I think they're on. Um Correct me if I'm wrong there, Paul, if you've got the table up. But, you know... Uh, I can get it up yeah, now. Yeah, it's... I think it's a bit... Uh, all I know is that Leicester... Leicester. Liverpool and West Ham are on 33 played, right? Um, Spurs, Chelsea and the Foxes are on 34 played. The gap from Liverpool, who are in seventh, to Leicester, who are in third, is nine points. But the big thing for me, we yeah. mentioned on the previous podcast, Leicester's last four fixtures, Paul. Newcastle at home, they should win that game. If they don't win that game, they don't deserve to make the four. Um, and to be fair, that would put Liverpool in the same bracket. That means for me, personally, West Ham probably then deserves to make the four out of us because Newcastle dead horrid. But then they got United away. And then could you imagine they got United away, United got to play Leicester, then they got to play us, and then they got to have, you know, uh, a Champions League, yeah. uh, so Europa League final. They're just that bit further away. Yeah. So United on 67. Yeah. They're probably just too far no, away. No, no, I'm not saying point. that we're catching United. I'm just saying oh, that yeah. United have to play Leicester than us and then another game in the Europa League final. Uh, it's yeah, really, really, really good for Liverpool because it's going to get United having to rotate players. Um, after United, but they're going to prioritise Leicester as yeah, well. After That's United, a big thing. United, the Foxes got Chelsea in, away and Spurs at home. Now, I do think the Foxes can beat Spurs at home on the final day. Uh, I just think that, you know, at most they could get a six points. Now, what are they on again, Paul? They're on 69 or 67? Leicester on 63. 63. Um, so what? You give them... We're 54. If you give them six points, right? So they end up on 69. Yeah, they end up on 69. And let's say they beat United. Um, beat United. They beat Newcastle and Spurs. Does that mean, if I was going to ask you this question, what points target does West Ham or Liverpool need to jump Leicester to reach the top four? Well, if we're giving him six... Yeah, if you're giving him six, does that I mean, mean that 70? That means we need 70. You think it's 70? That means we need 70. Do you think it's more than that? Do you think it's less than that? Do you actually think that no Leicester, uh, Leicester getting 69 points is unachievable for West Ham and uh, Liverpool and thus meaning... I'd give them seven. I'd give them seven. You give them seven, a draw in there too? I'd give them a, I'd give them a draw in there out of one of those two games. Probably Spurs. Yep. 
Because Spurs are still fighting that point. I was giving them a win against Spurs. I was going to say they beat Newcastle, oh, they beat Spurs, and they lose United. Oh, and they draw. Probably draw against United away. Yeah. So give I them reckon. seven, right? Um, I think if Leicester win, if Leicester win every one of those games, obviously make the four. Yeah. yeah. So say they're on 70, so we need 71. Yeah. Do you think that Chelsea are going to get the 71 this season? Yeah, it's 10 points for them from their last five games. Yeah. Of six, uh, sorry, what do they got? Four yeah. games. They can get to 10 points, you do feel. I think it's going to come really close. Um, Who have they got? That's, that's a, big a big question. question. Let me do look, you at, look at that. I'm just going to spitball here. I actually think that if Leicester get to the 70 point mark, they're going to be safe. Oh, their fixtures. They've got Man City this yeah, week. huge. They've got Arsenal the week after. Man, they've got Man City they've and got... City and Chelsea both have Champions League final, semi finals midweek. Oh, God. Yeah, so they've got the, each other. They've got Arsenal. They got Leicester, and they have got Villa away. Villa's difficult. Ask Everton. Um, exactly. So geez, did Chelsea should... get ten points from those four? No, I, I don't think so. How many do you give them? They lose the city. They can beat City on their day too, but they lose the city. Um, I think they beat Villa on the final day, which is massive. Um, and then what was yeah. the mid middle two pool? It's Arsenal and Leicester both at the bridge. Uh, I think Arsenal they can beat. I do think Arsenal. Last year though, though, they got a two-all draw. Arsenal last year as well, but it's a London derby. You can throw it out. That massive one is Leicester-Chelsea. It's huge. And that's, that's a big huge. one for Liverpool. That is that's where you want Liverpool to go, you know what? After that game week there, after that game week there, we play United. That's where you want the, 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 the catch-up yeah. game. You want it after that game week, that second to last game week. And I actually that's probably think where that's where it's going to be, as, be well. as well. And it's going to be huge. Uh, do I think Chelsea will get to the 70-point mark? No, I don't. I actually see that if West Ham or you Liverpool want to make the four, it's Chelsea that are going to miss out, not the Foxes. Yeah, that's a big call because I think it hinges on the Arsenal game. I think... Oh, I don't even know. You can't back them against City. Imagine they play each other three weeks before the Champions League and they final. Play each other the How's final. the psychological edge on that it's game? Huge. That is mental. It's huge. That is absolutely mental this weekend. It's of course it's on the 9th of May, which is going to be it's the Sunday morning. It's the two a.m. game on the Sunday, know, so we'll, we'll wake it. up to that result on Sunday morning. But then they've got oh man Arsenal Leicester back to back too. Oh, this and what is are they just, on? They're currently on what? <laughs> it's mental. What? They're on? They are currently on, let me get it up for you. They are on 61. Yeah, they're two points behind. See, I don't know. That, that Leicester game is massive. That Arsenal game. They're, all the four of their fixtures are massive. Uh, they're all huge. Look, without being biased, if Liverpool were true to their form, which they're not this season, clearly, they should make the four from here, really, because they're the only team that you can go and go, you know what, they'll pick up four games they could pick up you know 12 points from the last four and then you got the United um, catch up game yeah uh, I just don't know if that's going to happen I think it's us. one where we probably need to touch on it in two weeks it's time one I reckon that's forever involving I think the point mark to get into the top four is 68 I think Leicester get to 68 and I think Chelsea fall short it's just a matter of West Ham and Liverpool fall short of that too yeah 68 from five games yeah. That's a tough ask. That's not going to be easy. Yeah, so what are the... Yeah, it's... I think for Chelsea, it's huge. I think for Liverpool with a run home, it's doable. I think for the Foxes, the fact that they play Newcastle this week, if they don't beat Newcastle this week, I think they're gone. But I'm giving them that they beat Spurs on the final day to make it and they make up for crumbling it last yeah. year. 
Yeah, and they've had that experience. I think, so, I think this look, is I one of those we'll... topics, Paul, that we're going to have to touch on that for every week until the end of the season. Because it's got to be fairly Probably. changing. Because what happens if the Foxes lose it's... to Newcastle? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll touch on it at the end of each podcast, probably before we break into our questions. But we do have a few little talking points to bring up. So I might jump in yeah, first. Yeah, I was going to say, you jump in first because I think this one that you're going to talk about is a bit more important. Um, and also, yeah. I think there's a lot more to cover here when mine is, it's, it, there's still a lot to cover. Uh, I just think that, I think the floor should be yours because this, this is the creme de la creme, this one. Yeah, so this is a very South Australian themed segment of our podcast today. And I am going to touch on the showdown, which has an interesting significance on it this year. It's got a few different talking points. I'm going to start with the big drama from last week, which was the use of the prison bar Guernsey. I'm not going to start a debate on it. Whether the club want to wear it or not, it's up to them. They know what the rules are. If they want to wear it, they're willing to sacrifice four points. Do you want the club to wear it as a Port fan, Paul? Then sacrifice Because I'm not a Port Magpies supporter, I'm not bothered. So I haven't grown up bleeding black and white. I just, I'm a Port Adelaide Power supporter. So for me, look, everyone that knows me knows I love wearing black and white. That's just because I love the colour combination, not because of Port Adelaide. So for me... I understand why the club want to do it because as a Port Adelaide brand, it's connecting to the history of the club of Port Adelaide. But it's not... We're not the Port Adelaide football club. We're the Port Adelaide Power Football Club. Our first Guernsey was pure teal. End of the day, I think the big move, sacrifice the four points, wear it, and show the AFL we don't care what you think. We're going to do it our way. That's what I want the club to do. I want them to put their balls on the table and say, "We don't." Because we'll, I think we win I this too. game. I, I think Port, they just go, don't even give us the points for winning. We're in the top four already. We're probably going to finish in the top four anyway. So have your four points. We're going to wear it and get the fans on our side. That's where I think it's going to go. I'm just going to throw... I don't really care if they wear it or yeah. not. But I want them to follow through. Because they've fought so hard to do it, just do it. Don't... I don't even know what the word is. I know what the word is, but it's not correct. Don't back out. I'm going to say it that way. Don't back out of fighting and fighting and fighting. And then don't do it. And then fold because of four points. Because then you look weak in my eyes. Classic example is I'm going to use a poker reference. You've bet big on the flop. You've got your flush draw. You bet big on the 10 because now there's... Free to astray, and you got your flash draw on the river, everything bricks. And you've put your balls on the table, you've gone bet, bet, and then all of a sudden, you're staring the bloke in the eye, you've got pot size behind, it's, well, if I check, and he checks, he lo- you lose, and if you bet, and he calls, you lose, right? But if you go all in, and you bluff, and you overbet pot, you know, they might just fucking fold. And I really do feel, yeah. if Port Adelaide go, you know what, we've fucking put our hat in the ring, we've bet big, we've bet big, we've bet big, we want it, if they want to put in the big dick move, as you would say, you wear it and you cop the points, don't you? Yeah. Right? And I'm going to just throw, the day, some, it makes a I'm throw something out there. You lost on the weekend. I do think if you won on the weekend, Paul, you would have done it. I think the fact that you gave away four points on the weekend in a game that, look, I didn't watch the game. I was at cricket presentations, but a game that I did tip you to win. Um, it was dreadful. I do think if you beat Brisbane on the weekend... You would have uh, probably worn. I think. The... I think this is the reason why they will wear it yeah. because full house 
shit performance last week. It's, Wear the yeah. prison bars. Get the fans on side. Look, you're going to beat the Crows. Like, yeah, yeah, there's a look, world where the Crows win. These guys should beat us. Form does go out the window. It's like the Man United Liverpool game, right? It's another derby. If Form goes out the window, I just think these guys are too silky for us to not win this game of football. We're talking about a team that in 18 months have lost two games at yeah. home and one of them's a brilliant final yeah, against I don't, the I don't Premiers. Think, I don't think you're going to beat By us. a goal. So I think the club go, meh, we'll drop four points. Sydney aren't going to stay with us. Nah. Melbourne, they're still winning, but they're not going to be they're serious. Bulldogs lost last death. week. Melbourne. Yeah, so I think end of the day, you throw four points away, wear the Guernsey, get the fans on side because what they dished up on the weekend was an absolute disgrace. So it's just time. It's just I think the midfield boat comes back in this week. I think if Sloane's back in, he's going to be underdone anyway. Like, I don't think he's going to be able to just walk as straight back in been, after a month as off. As what's coming out of my camp, uh, the Crows, it looks like he has going to be picked for this week. Um, he yeah, could have gone up for last week and they purposely didn't play him. So I just don't like, I don't like that. I don't like keeping players for a certain game. Like, it's a big risk. He can come in and dominate and then it'll shut me up. Or he comes in underdone because he hasn't played for yeah, a month. Yeah, I would, I would have just, rather him. You know what I mean? Probably got minutes if he was available. If he Even was played a half in the SANFL, yeah. like just get some run in. But anyway, so I think I think we both sort of touched on it. Port to win. Yes, I think Port win. are going to win quite comfortably. Uh, I think the Crows will go with us for probably two and a half yeah, quarters, and then and then it'll be the typical Crows. They'll just fade away. The kids haven't played like this is going to be mental this atmosphere especially if the boys run out wearing the prison bars oh yeah if you poor home showdown you're going to win by 40 plus the crowd is going to go mental and unfortunately for these crows boys they just haven't played in front of that crowd yet like they haven't been in a hostile environment because for a year there's been no fans so I think it's going to be a really interesting watch on Saturday I night. Think it will be. I, I hope it's a I hope it's a close game. I don't want it to be like last year. I don't want it to be a blowout because it's just crap. I to do watch. think there's a possibility so, that it could be close, but I think you need the crows. You guys have to make it scrappy, and it has to be yeah, scrappy, very scrappy. You got to make it a scrappy are, game. You're, you're way, you can't you're way match better us. Footballing side than us in every department. Yeah, um, they're at both. They're other ends of the spectrum at the yeah. moment, and that's understandable. Port have been in that position where the Crows won eight or nine in a row the in these games, um, and I think that's what's going to help us keep it respectable. I actually think if you walk out with the prison bars, we won't get a close game of football because I think these guys will be just. I just, I think the games where we've gone and we've been crap and we've won it, it's been on the back of guys like Dean Brogan, on Chad Corns, on on real senior guys and. This Crows team just doesn't nah, have it. Like, they don't have... They've got Tex and Sloan. It's not enough. Like, it's just... I really rate what Nick's has turned around and the form that's come, but it's just too early. And, you know, maybe it might even be next year, to be honest. Like, it could be next year where you're competing with us in these games. But I think for this year, this might bite me in the ass big time. But I just think after the... Like, we just don't... We don't lose two games in a row... In the last two years, like it just, it just hasn't happened. Like we just, we go away, have a shit performance away, we come home, and it's back to how we know. Yeah. So that's just where I'm leaning. I agree. That's. With you. I just think if you, yeah, you're talking about a side that was top of the table last year to bottom. It's they've done really, really well to close the gap. 
just, just way too early in our development yet. in this game. Really yeah, competitive. and look, if it happens, it happens, and it's a derby, it and as happen. you said, anything yeah. can happen. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I think just across the lines, it's just the, yeah, so the experience just isn't there. This game or whatever. I think these guys will be well up, and you'll. Yeah. I wouldn't say you'll pump us. I do think there's a world where you beat us before. No, it'll be competitive. I just think something in the realms of like 15 to 25 points, something around there, and it'll be. You be take like it that. and run. We'll go, you know what, we kept the competitive for two and a half. Three quarters, but you never look like winning the game. It was always, oh, we're in a couple of kicks, we're in a couple of kicks, but you you never yeah. were in the game really because you controlled it. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. All right, last topic, and then we'll move on to some questions. All right, boys, I just want to bring it up because I am a massive Formula One nut. Paul does watch a bit of Formula One, don't you, Paul? And you love it, right? It's a good yeah, sport. But unfortunately, didn't watch last night. Though. Um, I've just have a little bit of a bone to pick with an Australian that does race in Formula 1. His name is Danny Ricciardo. Now, Danny Rick um, has been pretty poor at McLaren and uh, this weekend was looking forward to Quali. Uh, got home from cricket presentations and I slapped Quali on um, thanks to KO and obviously watching it back. So, I hung, well, not even a hungover Damien, a drunk Damien watched that and saw Danny Rick qualify 16th and was very upset and put this note in to talk about it. He then finished P9 in the race while I was waiting for Liverpool to play and obviously Liverpool never come around. But I just want to talk about why is this happening? Why is he so much slower to, um, to Lando Norris? And why do we all rate Danny Rick so highly as an F1 driver? And I think that has to be important and stated. So just going to start off by saying the whole paddock uh, pundits, you know, Martin Brundle, uh, you know, James Allen, all that. They rate Danny Rick highly. It's for what he's done as a young kid, um, coming in, Red Bull, up, showing up a, you know, absolutely dominant Sebastian Vettel, um, and before Vettel moves. Uh, we also have seen Danny Rick, you know, throw that Red Bull around in certain areas. And even last year, you know, you saw him throw the Renault into places it didn't belong. Um, this year, though, he looks very, very unsettled in the McLaren. Uh, I think that's evident to... Paul, who's probably watched only one race, Paul, that was, you know, just kept tabs on it slowly. And it's evident to someone like me that will sit down and watch practice if we've got nothing else to do. Someone that will sit down and watch qualifying, someone who will go watch the pre-race, you know, that sort of fan. Um, Whilst you're on it, though, quickly, I thought he actually raced quite well in, was it Italy? Yeah, he didn't do anything wrong, but for the Danny Rick that we know, he's usually, I'm amazing, you know? It's, it, it, in years gone by, he would have, you know, in Imola, he would have found a way to have put that car in a position where he was the one doing what Norris did last uh, in the race. He would have been back in the Red Bull, back in the, uh, even the Renault towards the end of his stint. He would have qualified 16 in that race, right? And he would have went out in Portugal and he would have found a way to finish fourth, right? Uh, yeah. So in, in Imola, I've just yeah. got it up here quickly. So he did. He finished sixth. Qualified sixth um, as well. So I mean, China in China. When was that? It was cancelled. So that was the first race. Portugal, as you said, yeah, ninth. Probably not where he wants to the be. The reason why I just want to compare was, it and talk yeah. about it is that we just don't want to jump on Danny Ritz back too early. Um, I do think it's quite a challenge coming from different cars. Um, and Norris said it perfectly in an interview that he did pre-race, saying that. This year's car is actually quite difficult to drive. I've had the experience of driving it in the past, and Danny Rick hasn't, right? So we'll take time. I Do I think Danny Rick will flourish at McLaren? Yes. I just think that Danny Rick has probably expected that he would go in and dominate from the get-go. And now that he hasn't, I'm just worried that the confidence issue will come about and Danny Rick doesn't recover from that for a while. I just hope that he keeps his head 
um, and knows that there eventually it will push come to shove. The class of a driver of his class will come through. Do I think he can win a t- title with McLaren? It depends on the development of the McLaren. I think it could happen. I just, it's not going to happen obviously this year. It's not going to happen next year. But, you know, after all the rule change in 2022, maybe 2023 beyond, it could happen. I'm just worried that if he starts so poor and it keeps going like this, Nando Norris becomes a number one and we'll never see Danny Rick win a championship because he'll be a number two driver then. Um, and I think that sort of path is already being written. You know, he's already had to take... Yeah, I reckon Norris is already yeah, the one. he already had to take team orders. Norris has already been there for a couple of years and where everyone's expecting, oh my God, it's Danny Rick. He has all this experience. He's been so good. He's come through Red Bull. You know, this is a guy that we were all, you know, back years ago were tooting to be the next Australian, um, you know, Grand Prix champion. You know, there's a lot of people in the paddock expecting Danny Ricciardo to be the one challenging Hamilton in years to come. Um, and it's never really happened. Uh, I just hope that, you know, we understand that it's a new car. It's a new setting for Daniel to get used to. And hopefully he will eventually become up to the pace or faster than Norris. I also do think you've got to give Norris some credit as well. He is driving out of his skin. He's developed really, really well. And I actually think McLaren didn't expect him to develop this quickly. Um, and it's going to be very interesting. I, I think what could happen here is you might get a bit of a rivalry between the teammates where they start disliking each other because I think it will get to a stage where Danny Rick becomes quite quick, Norris becomes quite quick, and then I think they both understand that they both are fighting to be who's number one. Um, and if that McLaren yeah. gets in positions to win races and that happens, we could see a, something like a center Prost situation eventuate. I think that's great for Formula 1, but we saw that happen with Vettel and Weber and Weber on the back end of it. And if that McLaren becomes championship worthy in a year, two years, three years, times of the new rules... And Norris is breathing down Daniel's back, or Daniel's breathing down Norris's back. It's going to come down to who the McLaren want to favour more. And like Vettel and Horner, I think that Zach will prefer Norris because he's been there for longer than Danny Rick. Yeah, so good little insight there. So we'll try and add some little insights into the end of each episode, depending on what the is happening in the world of sport, I guess. So. That was just a little one there. They'll get flipped around between Damon and myself, yeah, oh, yeah. depending there'll on be some F1 talk. what's happening. And yeah, there'll definitely be some F1 talk, maybe towards the middle, middle to stages of the, of the season. season and yeah. especially especially when people start moving around for seats for next oh, season. So I have to firstly thank the boys that have sent in their questions for this week. So Damon and I are going to be a bit mindful of time. So we're going to make these sort of quick fire response questions rather than really elaborate um, answers to the question. So if you have something that you think is really pressing, ask us to include it as part of the major discussion. Okay, so that's where we'll start to shape some of these questions. Because of the volume of questions we're getting in, I really do want to make sure that we get to all of them in each podcast. So we'll give our sort of short, sharp, shiny answers to these questions, but we are loving the questions also if you are listening on apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a review as well to see where we can improve the podcast too so dame we'll start with the first of three questions from dim yep. so his first question is if crystal palace suddenly want to start pushing into that upper middle tier of premier league clubs should they sack roy hudson and get a manager uh, a more reputable manager, or do they trust in Roy, who's been there for quite some time? Uh, I'm just going to answer it really quick. I think you take Hodgson out. That's not because Hodgson and what he knows and how good he's been um, to keep him in the Premier League. I just look at his age, and I don't think he's the sort of guy that's going to be a rebuild manager at his age. 
Yeah, I agree. I think if you can keep him involved, it'd be ideal because he's got the relationship with the players. But I think it's time for them to take a risk. I, I don't see. think they get relegated. Uh, I think uh, I can see why they're not because of Frank De Boer and the debacle they had with him. But time to give it a crack. I think. I do too. Agree. All right. If we are Jurgen Klopp, would you break the bank on rebuilding the squad? Uh, or do we build the depth to ensure another injury crisis never happens again? I think we mentioned this on the first podcast. I think we're both were pretty in agreement that we're not going to blow no, big money either. on this squad because we've got the players there. They just weren't fit. we probably add one or two key players just to bolster the team once again. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that getting Gomez and Dyke back is just like having a new signing. So I wouldn't touch it really, the squad. I think it's in a really good spot. Yeah, I agree as well. So, Dim's last question is, which young player would have the biggest chance of breaking Neymar's transfer record? Who do you reckon, Well, you, you've written some names there. Uh, we love the boy Makoku. Um, I think if yeah, you count Mbappe is young still, which he is, you've got to remember he is. Um, Mbappe, obviously, is the one. Um, and after you mentioned it to me off-stream, Ansu Fadi. I agree with you putting him on this list, and you maybe can talk about him for a little bit more than what I'm going to say here. I only think he only has the chance of breaking Neymar's transfer record if Man City become heavily interested in him. Yeah, I think 200 mil Australian is probably a bit much, but for the sake of the discussion, I think he's that one wonder kid who's, would he be 18 now, maybe 17, as well as Makoku being 15 or 16. I think they're the two that if they can kick on and start for their clubs respectively, then a PSG or a Man City could definitely come in and pay that kind of money. So I can't see anyone else. If you do have any other wonder kids that you think could go for that 220 mil price range, get it to us either via Twitter or the Discord. Russo, this is a really good question and I would like to maybe speak about this in a bit more detail at the end of the season when we know sort of all the different placings and winners of all the cups and things but would a year without European football do Arsenal more favours than be a detriment so there's I'll let you answer this one first because I've got a, probably two points that I want to talk about yeah. here um, look, he, he also mentions in the question when Chelsea were under Conte and won the league um, and then he mentioned us um, I think when Chelsea won the league on the Conte, they were a team that had the quality to probably perform week in, week out, but not to do it over, you know, a midweek game in the Europe and then in the league. Um, I think for Arsenal, it's perfect to not be in Europe. I don't think they have the quality of the squad or the depth in the squad, I should say, to probably manage both and be at a higher level. Where I think if Arsenal just focus solely week in, week out on being the best Premier League side they could, um, they could... I wouldn't say they could fight for the league straight away, but they could probably be in a position where they can push. Um, and you never know, a weird season could happen and Arsenal could be in and around the mar- the market um, of maybe pushing the big clubs for the Premier League title. Um, he mentioned Liverpool, um, where Liverpool on the other end of the spectrum. I'm not sure where he mentions yeah, Liverpool. Yeah, he, he said, and uh, Liverpool, I believe, did the same thing. I don't think we did. Um, no. Uh, we I, I will touch on... When we were out of Europe, we were dreadful. Yeah, I, I will touch on Liverpool... Um, for the second in there, Liverpool's the sort of squad that have the quality where Arsenal don't own the depth or have a bit more depth than Arsenal. I think for a squad like that, you would rather be in Europe because you have the squad to be in Europe, where Arsenal don't have that squad to be in Europe, but they have a squad that has probably got enough, you know, their starting 11 is quality enough to probably beat most Premier League sides. And that can sometimes put you in a position, a la Leicester, 
to be in a position where other teams folded to win the Premier League title unexpectedly. Yeah, that's a pretty compelling argument. I can't really <laughs> fight that, to be perfectly honest. But the other factor is just a monetary factor for a club like Arsenal. I think it's huge if they're not in Europe financially um, for them going forward. It's one of those situations where you, you're playing the risk-reward yeah, game. You, you spend a year out to try and solidify the next five years in, or do you become Liverpool and you think one year is enough, but it turns into five or six. So that would be my big worry. Um, do you think we'll Arsenal, if they were in any other competition, would go and win the league right now? Yeah, no. exactly. So I think if you're Russo, uh, I would be saying, well, you're not going to be probably in Europe unless you win the Europa League this year. Um, yeah. Your main goal would be, okay, let's get back in the top four as quickly as possible. Not let's go... Oh, and then it's a whole different situation the if they're in the top four yeah, as exactly. well because the Champions League's a whole different appeal that they haven't had for a long time. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there. That kind of does lead into the next question from Shadow. So do you see Arsenal making... Many signings or just cheap ones. I think we might have to hold on that question until we know where they're going to be playing. I think the Europa League matters so much to it this does, question. It's massive. I also think with the new owners that could potentially come in, it matters too in the funding that is available to whoever the manager is because Arteta could or could not be there as well. Um, and I do think that uh, we're getting a lot of Arsenal questions from the boys, so you can kind of tell who people support in the Discord. Big shout out, though. These questions are absolutely banging, and keep them coming, boys. We've got our last one coming in from JS Paul. Read it out and send us on our way. So since we're both Liverpool fans, implying that Damien and I are both we Liverpool are. fans, who should we sell and buy to become title and Champions League challenges again? So... I'll go first yes. with this one. I think the only sales that we'll see, it might be one of the front three, which we spoke about in the first podcast. I'm not sure who of the front three, but I think one, it's probably time Salah, to go. I think we said would. Yeah. And then I think it's mostly just the fringe guys, like Shakiri, Origi, yep. you know, the guys that, Ox, you know, they're probably the guys that go to fund the, de- the new depth coming in. Um, the new quality depth. I don't, I don't see, know who exactly we're going to yeah. buy. Nukunate is basically going to be done. That's done. Yeah. That's done. He signed it already. Yeah. So that's really good for us um, at centre-back with some depth. We, you're probably looking for another midfielder to go with Curtis Jones and you're probably looking for another young attacker to probably play across the front three. And I, I, I don't know. I think if Salah does go, then you're in the market for another winger. It's not. Oh, that'd be yeah, nice. But there's just not. There's not a lot of right-sided wingers that fit the way we no. play as well. So that's the other factor. So it's like it's very. It's an interesting situation to be in. Uh, I don't see a lot of young guys that are going to be playing off the right, drifting in and, and cutting in on their left. So look, with just answering that in a quick um, fire response, I think there are some sales to happen. I think maybe Harvey Elliott gets brought into the squad. He's been on fire for Blackburn this season. So I can't say that he's going to slot straight into the team. But the way he's played in the championship, he probably could. Oh, yeah, I agree. 100%. 100% agree with that. I think he's going to be 
in and around the squad and another one that's kind of going to be like a new signing but a depth sort of signing. Um, in terms of sales, I do think that uh, what you've mentioned, the, all these fringe players were probably sold. So when it comes to buying, I don't think we really need to buy much, really. The squad hasn't changed from too much from when we did win the league last year. Just there's all been injuries. We just need to be a little bit more lucky in the injury front next year. Um, the one thing I will mention is a guy called James Milner. Do I think we would sell him? No, but I do expect James Milner to move more into a mentoring, play very few minutes sort of role, and then he will retire. Yeah, it's fair yeah, point. That, that's that. not a sale, but that's more of a change of role. And I think that's what you might see from a few of these Liverpool boys, a change of roles. Um, the one I will put a question mark next to is Kieda. I think if there's a big enough bid for Kieda, he could go. Yeah, that's fair. So I think hopefully that answers all the questions. So if you do have some questions arising between now and next Monday, make sure that you get them in the Discord, make sure you tweet them at us so that we can include them in the next episode. So, Dame, do you want to say goodbye to the lovely listeners of the podcast and we'll get the outro going? Um, Well, thank you very much for listening, guys. The support has been great. If you haven't already, there is going to be links to the Discord where you can ask us all our PD Sports podcast questions. I think in the description of some of the uh, you know podcast uh, places that you will listen to below. Uh, also, uh, I think it's important to mention as well that we have reached the people internationally and to those viewers that are or listeners that are listening internationally. Big thank you as well. And if you guys could let you us know exactly where you're watching from, I think that would be something really cool as well. Over to you, Paul. Send us on our way. Good to see you, everybody. I'll see you next week. Yeah, thank you very much, Dame. So as Damien did say, make sure you check out the description of this podcast and the last few for the link to join the Discord. Once again, Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a review and your five-star recommendation for the podcast. It does help us grow. All our socials are on our YouTube channels at Paulie29 and Damo underscore 23. From me, Paulie, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next podcast.